Welcome to your sophomore year at the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk out of turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy and class in session. Non pure Scott. He brought his laptop into the studio. And it looked like somebody sneezed from about a quarter inch away from it all over the screen. I made him carry it out of the studio. I was like, <laughs> shit is not coming back in here because I do not believe that's a sneeze. I don't even know what the hell that yeah, is. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. It was a biohazard. <laughs> yeah. Hey, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. We are the biohazard of podcasts. Hey, I am here today with uh, special guest Gary DeFranco. Executive producer, excuse me, I can't even talk today. Executive producer of Tough, the Ultimate Fighter. How you doing today, Gary? I'm great. How you doing, dude? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing real good. I'm super excited to have you here. I'm I'm honored. Thanks I'm for honored. So I'm just gonna go straight to it. Cool. What did you do during the pandemic? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> that's the going question right now, right? I mean, in this day and age, it's you go directly to that, right? It was uh, it was kind of weird because we were ramping up to shoot a whole bunch of different television shows and you're in pre-production and you're starting to go. And then we didn't know how long, you know, like anybody, this was going to go. So kind of working still and all right, stuff shutting down in this state. It's shutting down in that state. Like this is going to be a problem. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, everything's on hiatus. But you really didn't know how long it was going to be like, you know, with everybody. So it started off slow with a lot of Postmates and sitting on the couch and kind of enjoying that. And then it looked like it was going to be, you know, a long time. So, um, gotten a good workout routine, started just working on my own projects, talking to friends I haven't talked to in years and read 30 books and tried to make the most of it. So, so you basically just relaxed. You didn't do anything in particular. No, <laughs> I, it sounds like you used it wisely. Uh, that's, you know, there's, there's a couple things I'd love to hit on. Especially in the uh, the fight community, because it, given that you're shooting a reality series and you're having to jump from two totally different scenarios where one, you have everybody isolated to one place and you can, you know, control the environment. And I'm sure that you had to go into an environment where you were working remotely like we are right now. Right. How, how did that impact, uh, you know, the overall experience for the fighters or for you guys? Well... At the time, I was getting ready for a different television show um, that I work on as well, and then that got put on hold. And then the tough part about the fighter part is we had been off the air for two years, and we were just starting back. Mm. There's a lot of excitement for one thing and, and a lot of unknowns. Um, and then a big part of my deal is casting, so I have to look all over the world and find the best fighters for this show. Um, and, you know, you're, you're recruiting them, you're talking to their managers, their promotions, their coaches, you know, and then it's like, all right, we're going to be on hold for a little bit. We're going to be on hold for a little bit more. And, and they have other opportunities to fight in different leagues and things like that. So they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting too. And then everything stopped and then everybody was on hold forever. And, you know, dealing with professional athletes. Yeah, that you have to really, you have to really walk a fine line when it comes to health and, and all of those right, things. Exactly. Um, and our protocols were crazy. And then um, we had to just keep, you know, as this thing grew, our protocols grew, grew, grew. So it was like, we can't even do this. 
So then we had to wait. And then, you know, we had very hardcore COVID protocols this time that, you know, it was it was nuts that we even got it done, but we managed to do it. Um, but it was it was crazy. I can only imagine. But uh, just just out of curiosity, I always like to see what innovation comes out of it, or what creativity comes out of these situations. Did you see anything when you were working with your crew and, and there and trying to get through this oh, you know big ordeal? Did you see anything that stuck out to you? Well, leading up to the show, realized that conversations like we're having can be had. And, you know, I have these Zooms every day with the network, with other producers, with the fighters, interviews. So um, a lot of things we used to fly everybody to one location. You kind of realize that part of that could go away and you could really have a, a big reach, you know, getting people here. Yeah, you don't have much of a use case for bringing people back in. Yeah, it's rough. You know, um, I hate working at home uh, myself. It just drives me crazy and it's not, I'm never off work. There's no separation. Um, so it did go nuts doing all these Zooms once we got back up. But uh, I did realize that once it's going, like you need people in the field, you need to be getting it done. And there, there's quality uh, that people expect. And there's other shows that are able to get away with like Zooming in and, and putting a lot of that on the air. But, you know, with a, one of the biggest sports organizations on the planet on ESPN, you know, we have to make it look good and everything had to be top notch. So we had to wait as long as we needed to until we could get enough, you know, in one place to do what we had to do. So you you were you were uh, shooting for quality, yeah. Not uh, not just trying to throw something up on the air, and I I can respect that. To add on to that, I think that uh, you identified that you guys aren't traveling as much or weren't having to travel as much to accomplish a lot of the things that you could have or that you would have done in the past face to face. Do you find that that you know gave everybody kind of a work life balance? I think everybody probably found their own balance. Um, some people went and worked even harder, never turned it off. Some people were able to turn it off more. Uh, in times it was rough because like everybody knows where you're at. <laughs> I know you're not. I know where you are. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I'm sorry. I was at the dentist or I had to do this or that, which a lot of times is true. It's like, hey, could you be on a call in 15 minutes? I can't say no. Like they know I'm sitting at home. Like, I'm not able to go anywhere. You can only say you've been drinking so many times before it looks like a, a real situation. Right. You can't come up with anything. Oh, that would suck. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's a leash. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, working with ESPN, they're on the East Coast. We're on the West Coast. So that, like, extends both of our day because they need to get stuff done really early in the morning for us. And we need to get stuff late. So if you're talking to somebody and it's, you know, it's 10 o'clock, they're doing business. We're up at 7. And then, you know, they're off at 7. And we're still doing business late. And, and just extends both of our day because you get the three hours on each side. Oh, yeah. It stretches on both sides. I used to work in uh, consulting. And I, I hated that. Those guys in the middle, man, California gets ripped too, all the way across the board. So I want to, I want to jump to another, uh, another thought here, given that, that we're, I started out with the pandemic and we're looking at your operations and how that kind of thing operates. Fighters, they're, they're at home and fighters do probably what fighters do. You stick them in a room for 365 days, they begin to meditate and train like animals. Am I, am I correct? Yeah, I mean, it depended on where you were. You know, there was guys from California. All the gyms were shut down immediately. Couldn't do much, you know, hardcore mandates. And then, you know, had fighters in Minnesota or, you know, the Dakotas or Wyoming and places like that where it really was kind of never affected as much. So 
Um, Interesting. We ended up, I do a show called Street Outlaws for the Discovery Channel as well. And we ended up into Wyoming and Nebraska for six. I was there six weeks. They were there about three months total because um, there was no COVID up there. We were able to just post up in the middle of nowhere, put the whole show in a bubble and, and get it. Done. Oh, I bet it was beautiful, too. It was very, it was very pretty up there for sure. Um, a lot of work, but very pretty. But those fighters had the same thing. They were in a small town and kind of a contained gym. You know, they could work out with partners and everything. Uh, Max Holloway, one of the best fighters in the world, Zoom trained his whole camp and went and had one of the best fights of his career. And, you know, and that's what I love. That's how you innovate. That's how you adapt and overcome. And you, you take a situation and you create something completely different out of it and new ways. I, the, the, it's gotta be like the industry right now for, you know, CrossFit and yoga and all those types of things have got to be completely upside down with the way that people are able to take their classes live on all these different right. platforms now. And again, I, I think it, it creates a work-life balance. I'm, I'm big on that. I know I've said it like several times, but I've, I've done the uh, 24 hour a day travel around the world work and man, That'll uh, that'll wear on you quick. Yeah, I'm working on that myself. Um, you know, good thing about this business is it's kind of like you could take a gig or work on a show and you get murdered for two, three, five, six months, but then you could not take the next one and have three months off. And that's kind of uh, it's it's a different than how most people do it. But the hard part is taking those months off when you get offered a good job and it's a lot of money and like sometimes the jobs don't line up. So you go some months without being able to take one. So it's hard to be like, oh, I'm just going to take this time off. You know, because, you know, early in my career, I would do that sometimes and then you don't get a job for five months. And it's a little different now with the position I'm in. But when you're just starting out, like those little breaks that I took would burn me. Yeah. yeah, it's like a slinky. You're just going, you know, end to end, just shifting through there, man. That's that's uh, that's an abuse on the mind after a while. It, right. It'll take its toll. Yeah, it, te it teaches you how to prepare for the rainy day, you know, and you don't always do that when you're a young kid, but you got to figure that out as you grow, you know, that's, that's a great point. Cause I can tell you the way I came up, if probably if up to maybe 40, I would say that I probably wouldn't have been able to have lived in, in one of those uh, budgeting scenarios where I had to plan for a rainy day. I've been a, I've been a, I need a salary and a check every two weeks kind of guy since day one. Yeah, I was deep into my thirties before I got that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been eating ramen for about three or four weeks prior to the next gig. Happens. <laughs> definitely, it definitely happens. Oh yeah, we used to do that in the army. Whenever I had uh, new privates, I would tell them, you know, every paycheck, go buy, uh, go buy a case of ramen because you're gonna run out of money before the next go around. I always have a case stash <laughs> just in case. You never know, right? I don't care what anybody says. It's still good. It's sodium infested. It's not healthy, but it still tastes fine. Tastes fine. I'll see that cup of noodles there sometimes, you know, craft service or sometimes they'll have it. And if they put them up, I don't care if there's all millionaires on the set or people making $100 an hour or $2 an hour. Those go first. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll see the British executive eating one in his office. Guy drives a family to work every day and PAs will be eating them too. We see that. We're like, that's going to be good. And the microwave, there's a line every time. It gets rid of anger <laughs> quick. Robin's one of those things that once you slurp it down, it immediately gets rid of hunger. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yep. And I, I got hooked on putting cheese in it when uh, a long time ago. Egg and cheese in there and stirring it up. Probably just make it super unhealthy if you're going to yeah, do we, it. We, we went through that game in college and after when I was... You know, living with a hundred people in a two bedroom apartment, you know, we, whatever was in the refrigerator that we could jazz that up with, we would try it for sure. Dude, you grow up poor, you start figuring out how to fry everything. Cause 
everybody asks why, you know, why poor people like to fry things. And it's because frying actually gives things flavor without it being something else. Yeah. So if you try to fry it, at least then it's not half as horrible as it would be on its own. Yeah. Like a slice of cheese. Good. Slice of fried cheese. Amazing. Absolutely. You know, know, I'll never eat bologna my life if I don't have to, but if it was fried right there right now and I'd probably would. 100%. Regular just sitting there, zero chance. Yeah, <laughs> if you put a slice of bologna on some bread in front of me, I might actually punt it or throw it into the ground like spiking a football because of the the horrendous cold sandwiches that I ate as a child with yeah. bologna fried, on them. Think about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you're you're in this situation where you're at home and you're finding new ways to work on uh, your different endeavors. What happens, you know, with you creatively, with the downtime, you, you know, you get this opportunity because you're a creator, right. you know, that's at the end of the day, you know, producer of, of tough and working with, you know, shark week and Mike Tyson, which is fucking amazing just to be able to say that no matter what happened, just shark week and Mike Tyson in the same sentence is amazing. But at the end of the day, you're a creator and so there's got to be something that, uh, that that really came out of this for you. Yeah, within the jobs that I normally do, I work for great companies that trust me a lot and I'm able to be pretty creative. But, you know, there's a lot of rules with networks and, and you still have the, the framework of whatever show you're working on and, and a number of people to answer to. So there is some creativity that, that I, you know, I can get out there, but it's maybe 20 percent. So, you know, I I like to I paint. I'm into music. Um you know, I write a lot. It's, it's always something, you know, it's just, it's always a hobby of mine to just do that. And, and I go in phases where I do, you know, I do the different things. Um, and I have a lot of friends that are super motivated and, and creative as well in this business and others. So we started talking and just started going through our hard drives. And, you know, every one of us has 10 million shows we've pitched throughout the years or ideas or four sentences on a document that, you know, you forgot about. So um, I started finding those, sending them to friends um, and start picking up a little like, oh, we really like this. And one friend would like that. We start working on things together. So um, it was really cool because I have friends all over the world, all the way going back to the 90s that are in this business. And we all kind of at least talked about, if not already doing projects together right now. So it helped a lot. Yeah, I think that that's something that um, really flourished during this um, entire situation that we've been in, that creators were allowed or able to collaborate in ways that they never did before. You saw everything kind of come to a screeching halt because it's, I mean, it's a shock to the system. Nobody's expecting it, but it's amazing how everybody starts crawling again around the planet and, and reconnecting and saying, all right, well, look, yeah, we can't be on set, but we can put 10 people on a zoom call and we can create this. Or, you know, you can have a bunch of people acting within their own home and patching them together and coming up with different ways. The stuff that people were doing was amazing. So you get in there and you start digging through. And I know that you had something that you had uh, sent over to me that I really liked when uh, when you sent it over. And I think I think it's a super cool concept. And it was a, um, a show or a pilot or, or something along that lanes called uh, Not Uranus. Right. Can you tell us about Not Uranus? Yeah. Um, Besides the amazing name. Yeah, it's uh, the, the name. The sound bites are good from here on out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the name takes people into the wrong direction, I would say. This is actually uh, more meant for, I wouldn't say children, but maybe teenage, late teen, you know, early teens. Um, and uh, 
probably a little over 10 years ago, I was in downtown Las Vegas, pre-Uber and, and Lyft and all that. And I, uh, I got stuck down there after partying with some friends and stuff like that. And I was waiting for a cab. Someone across this taco place, um, and I'm waiting and there's these kids, you know, neighborhood kids with graffiti written all over their backpacks. And they're fighting with the guy that owns the taco shop. And it was just like, I don't know what it was. I just pictured that. And I was like, this is, there's a story here, you know? So I started just observing with like thinking about what it could be. Um, there's a lot of stuff about illegal aliens in the news and stuff at that time. And I have a lot of, you know, friends and family that were affected by that. So, um, the group was very diverse. I mean, it was almost like someone had cast it, it was you know like like the burger king kids club yes totally you know an asian <laughs> kid, a black kid a white kid and this big fat kid and a little skinny kid that seemed to be tagging along and i'm just watching it and i you know i had some drinks in me too and kind of a, a like night of partying but i'm you know thinking and i go home and i start writing it down you know probably typed for an hour or so that night and worked on a little the day and kind of made these characters and i totally forgot about it never never thought about it again for 10 years until i found it on the hard drive you know during this whole downtime well, I, I gotta tell you i i read it and i thought it was pretty amazing and what the reason why it really stuck out to me is that it didn't feel fake it felt like that there was some really strong ties with whoever wrote it with the or identified with the characters very deeply is there is this uh is this where you grew up is this the kind of people that you wanted to be around or the kind of people that you were around well a little of both um you know i grew up in cleveland where it was white and black people sometimes very segregated not very many neighborhoods where they were together but um I had never had any friends that were Asian or Hispanic or from other countries, really. Uh, you know, just in Cleveland, people don't move in and people don't move out a lot. So, you know, and it's either like really, really poor or kind of poor, you know, you know, for the most part. So, uh, you know, I had white friends and black friends and we were into graffiti and hip hop and that was our whole life growing up. And so that was like part of it. But we never had the diverse, you know, group of friends, you know, so we, we brought some stuff to the table that was different, but we were kind of all the same. Um, so once I moved to Las Vegas for college in the 90s, I met people from all over the world, every different ethnicity and stuff. And that's when I really started having all these different types of friends. So it's kind of a hybrid of how, you know, I think we are the best in the world is when we have all the differences we bring it together and we don't yeah. act like we're not different because we are, but we bring those little cool things from all of our different cultures and, and our ways of seeing things and just mash it together. And that's the best, I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And you know, everybody, everybody talks about, you know, you put you through classes that say diversity and inclusion and whatever, and they have you look through these little slideshows and things like that. But what we're describing is experiences. So it, it seems like, you know, you had, you were only in that situation by location alone, because given the opportunity, you did want more friends of different cultures and and get out there. And it seems to fit with, you know, your profession. If you're a producer, you've got to know people. You've got to know the human experience. You've got to be able to see it. So you get home and pen goes to paper immediately. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just have a you know, a lot of people in, in my business or in, in any of these creative arts, just whatever it is, it's little post-it notes or little one-page things. Or I email myself, like whether it's a rap lyric or a, an idea for a painting or an idea for a pilot. I'm always just like sending it to myself. And then I have so many to get lost and I get busy. So um, I wrote a couple pages on that. And I don't remember exactly what I was doing at the time, but I was working on some show or another and then probably got slammed and then 300 other ideas and never thought about it again. Yeah, I've got music like that sitting in folders that I started different, you know, different songs or stuff like that, you know, different 
beats and then I pull it open. And I'm like, oh, whoa, okay. I, I remember making this. That's what this was. But uh, what yep. I liked about this and just to, to give an explanation or if you want to give like a brief synopsis of this, what, what I, what it is, is a, an orphan child in Uranus or on Uranus. <laughs> Here come the sound bites. Um, an alien, if you will, living right. there. And it, I think that you had said that, or it says that the, the planet was losing all of its resources and he was an orphan. They were going to use him to come to earth to right. report back to Uranus, whether or not it was a livable or inhabitable planet after that year. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking of it like he was going to, you know, cause it's always like, what do the what would the aliens think if they came here and saw this? You know, I've always thought of it that way. Like we're in a bubble and everyone's watching us like the Truman show. Like, what is that? So this kid is, you know, he's recruited from the planet of Uranus. He's an orphan. So they don't really care about him. Basically he gets dropped off in America. He ends up in downtown Las Vegas. Um, and his, his mission is to observe everything and report back in a year if it's worth them, you know, with their limited resources there coming here. He's got to assimilate because he looks like a human right. in this particular instance. Right. So, and he's an artist and he has this futuristic like iPad and that's all he does is draw and like head down. And, and so he ends up when, you know, meeting these kids in the neighborhood that are graffiti kids, hip hop kids that are a very diverse group. Uh, it's a little contentious at first, like any group and, you know, they don't want outsiders coming in until they make sure they're cool. But, um, you know, they're questioning them and everything. And, uh, you know, the one thing they told him when he came to the to the earth was never tell anyone where you're from. You, you have to lie. You can't tell them where you're from. <laughs> you're in it, right? Right. So they're questioning, they're questioning, they're questioning. He gets nervous and they say, where are you from? And he just first up, not Uranus. <laughs> that sounds like something I would yeah. accidentally right. say. So that's how it gets the name, not Uranus. Oh, and, and if you're a bunch of kids tagging, you love that. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so they start breaking his balls like all kids do. And, you know, they ask his name and the kid says, hey, I don't care what your name is. Your name's not Uranus forever. That's your name. So <laughs> and then he, we, they start calling him new and you not Uranus. So um, basically, that's where I got it from. You know, it's he's <laughs> not Uranus is kind of the funny part that I think will hook people and hopefully get them to watch. Absolutely. How could it not? I mean, yeah. just just to play on words alone is is just amazing. That that said, um, with the diversity and the way that you bring everybody together in this, I think that you're going to tell a story for people to see that kind of a couple of different things. It's not just the diversity piece. It's the judgment piece that comes with kids that are tagging kids that like, you know, hip hop kids that, you know, don't fit that stereotypical mold. And I, I like the idea of an outsider's perspective because what we don't realize is that we do look different to other things or other species or other, you know, animals and stuff like that. We look insane for the things that we do day in and day out when there's no particular outcome to be obtained. And the idea of somebody seeing, you know, or finding that inclusion in a group like this right away is super, super fascinating. And I, I love the fact that he doesn't know that they don't want him to come back. Right. That that yeah. twists the entire thing. Right. He has no idea. And you don't know how, you know, it's it's so early that there's going to be a big story arc. So I don't know if it's he's going to want to come back. He's not going to want to because he knows, you know, if he goes back there, then that's probably the end of all his friends. And and, uh, you know, so I'm trying to figure there out. There could be nobody there. Yeah. They were looking to go somewhere else. Yeah. 
could be anything. And, you know, it's a uh, why go back at that time. But, you know, that's where the, the, the writing and everything. And I have some friends that are going to help me that are really good writers. And we're trying to figure out if it's going to start just as a graphic novel or if we're going to try to do a series with it. But um, we started doing the artwork and everything like that. Yeah, I saw the first set of artwork. I'll um, I'll put that up on the site. I thought it was super cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I was talking about it at work on Street Outlaws. And one of the guys that I work with, one of the production assistants, he's a really good artist. He's like, you know, I'll take a crack at drawing the cover for you. I'm like, that'd be super dope. He whipped that shit out by the morning and it was somehow exactly in my brain. I didn't tell him anything. I love that. I, I gave him pretty much just the one page of it, the characters and like a thing. And uh, he whipped it out and, and one day and I'm like, holy shit, like you need to do this for me. Like, I don't care if you want to be my partner or I pay you or you tell me the deal that you want. And because it just, I don't know, it was weird because it was just what I I pictured. And I'm a, like a decent artist, but nothing like this. So I can never execute that myself. But it was just like, boom, that's it. Hey, academics. Have you endured life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? Did you adapt and overcome? Do you have advice for others to pay forward and want to be a guest? Then email us a brief two to three minute video to show at thetragedyacademy.com and tell us how our academics can learn and grow from these experiences. Thanks again for your support. And now back to class. I feel like the best art, the best creations come out of spontaneity or from, from points of Mindful moments, if you will. Right. Um, I, I firmly believe that uh, we're writing our own future. Um, I think that creators write our future um, every single day, no matter what the uh, the medium is. Um, you know, if you're a producer with Tough, you're you're still writing the futures of people through the creation or through movies or through TV and things like that. And I feel like when we get those moments of inspiration, that's when we put things, you know, pen to paper or, you know, we play an instrument and we come out with an inspired piece, no matter no matter if it is called not Uranus, that, you know, is part of the inspiration behind it. And I feel like as creators, we have to own those mindful moments that we've been gifted to be able to create. We have to use them every day to, you know, live, to pay the, you know, to pay the bills, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, there's nothing more fulfilling than those times when there's no paycheck at the end, but it was still just as fun to do. And that's, that's where I think that we have to own that and take responsibility for it. And I think something like this is a great way to monopolize somebody's time with your creative mindful moment. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the thing is, is, is time. And this gave us all the time with our friends that we didn't have to just get on calls like this and, and shoot scripts and, and ideas. And I started working with rappers that I worked with 18 years ago and we're doing music again and started working, you know, with, with people all over. And just, even if it's not something I'm working on, I gave them an idea they're running with, or they gave me an idea and it's, we're always on a deadline and you guys have two weeks to come up with this. And then we got to shoot that. And this is the shoot schedule. And then it's over and we got six weeks to edit it. And it's got to be, you know, so the, the creative process is like, you have two days to think of this and then you better have something instead of like, just whatever, spitting ideas out, bullshitting, you know, taking a little idea and, and expanding it, which you don't have time for normally. So it was good. I feel like once you add the word process to creative, it's no longer, it's no longer creative. Yeah, I agree with that. It takes, it takes that out of there. And that's not to say that there's not a, a you know, so many things that we have, they come from art. They come from, you know, that inspirational point. But of course, you know, we have to capitalize on everything that we create. 
So it's a double-edged sword. Right? And it's uh, it goes back to the graffiti thing, too, because we, you know, you'd have 45 seconds to put something up before you might get shot or ran over or a train might be coming, too. So it's like, you know, but now when you see these, you know, there's these legal walls everywhere and there's amazing places in downtown Las Vegas where you have unlimited time. I love it's, that. It's, the art is crazy, you know? I, well, the first part that you said, you you said that there was a finite amount of time to do your piece of art. And I've never actually considered that when thinking about graffiti. I, you just look at the end point and whether or not you want to complain about it or say that it's something that somebody gifted did or whatever. You know, that's pretty much how society looks at it. But if you were to isolate that moment... There's got to be, in order to come out with some of the art pieces, because let's, let's face it, graffiti's fucking beautiful. Some of that art is just amazing. But to think now that it's coming out of a moment that is so small, what, um, what is that like, you know, as a kid? Because you're obviously trying to find some kind of outlet. You need it. It, it, is, it is a passion. Because I grew up, you know, not in an inner city, but I grew up, you know, in a very remote, poor area where there weren't as many opportunities to have creative outlets. Right. So what is it like when Gary's sitting there, you know, and he's got the the stopwatch goes and you want to put it, put a piece of art on the wall? How does it go? I mean, it's, it was it was exciting for one thing. And then we didn't have any outlets really like there is today. This is we're talking the 93, 94, 95. 100%. That's my heyday. Right. So, you know, in Cleveland, we had three channels on the TV, local newspaper. We read four different magazines, probably. And that was it. So just to put something up on a train or on an overpass and like know that people would see that we were never going to have art galleries or anything like that for a long time. And, we, you know, we're all into hip hop music and doing little shows here and there and starting out. And that got bigger as well. But, you know, the coolest thing would be like, you know, to run into another writer somewhere in a different neighborhood. Oh, I saw your shit up there. That was dope. Or. You know, or you'd be driving to school with your mom. The train goes by and like, we'd all lie and say we saw our shit. And we really didn't. Oh, I saw it went by. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Stopped right there. Everybody was pointing. Like, no, they weren't. You know, <laughs> they looked like shit. You know, but, <laughs> but that's what you do. Right. You know, and, you know, I had friends that were robbing people that night and, and, and out at those hours selling drugs and, and doing a lot of other shit. And, you know, I didn't always do the right things either. But when I was out there painting, it was usually on an abandoned building or a crappy train or under, you know, an underpass that didn't look good anyways. And, you know, I wasn't shooting people. Yeah, you're not tagging the, uh, you know, the local Cold Stone Creamery. Nah. You're, you're going somewhere where you, because it's right. not meant to disrespect. Right. You know, and, and and people that tag in like in cemeteries or on like monuments or, you know, when you go to like freaking Grand Canyon or, you know, Mount Rushmore and people tag J Joni loves Chachi all over all the shit. <laughs> Did you say Joni loves Chachi? Yeah. That's fucking amazing. Totally dated Who is the guy <laughs> that's doing that one? I want to see the one that's putting Joni loves Chachi. I want to meet this guy. I want to have lunch with him. That would actually be funny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, I need to know this dude. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's it's some of it's like destructive for sure, and like depending on the situation, maybe. But you know, it's for the most part, we we're just it was some form of excitement. Some people did it for the thrill, hanging off the top of something, and you might die, and 
And, you know, part of it was that, you know, it's sitting down in my house and painting. It's a completely different experience than I experienced when I was younger, you know, with people chasing you and the cops come in or being in somebody else's neighborhood and not knowing who's around the next corner or, you know, just whatever could happen at four or five in the morning. There's, there's an addiction to that, to that heart flutter that you get in those situations when you think you're about to get caught or when you can hear footsteps behind you and you're moving, you know, or you're running faster, any of those things, you can get addicted to that, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah. And you know, uh, my mom will kill me for telling this story, but I will tell it anyways. There is a, some low income housing right by our house and they just painted the, the whole lobby brand new. So I don't know why we decided to do this, but we bombed the whole thing. I mean, wall to ceiling, whole thing, driving. I think I was 15, maybe 14, get pulled over, there's paint all over us. You know, my, my buddy, I would just, I said, Hey, I had the most paint on me. So I said, Hey, it was all me. I just got in the car with these guys. Like they're taking me home, let them go. Um, so they did. So they arrest me. Um, my mom comes and picks me up at three in the morning or whatever. Finally, they let me go. She's got a shitload of cleaning supplies in the back. My little brother's in the back. We go there and clean the shit out of that place till like six in the morning. Uh, We found some other paint and like painted over. It was perfect. Next day, you know, I'm I'm supposed to go back and and check in and they're like, no, we couldn't charge you with anything. Maintenance got there before we could take pictures for evidence and they must have painted over everything. Oh, shit. We're like, yeah, we can't charge you. They're so pissed. They're like, you know, we know you did it. I'm like, I didn't do anything. You had paint all over you. you Imagine if you had not, your mom had not taken you down there. What? could be a different life. Yeah, that was that was a minor one. That would have just been a little, that would have just, you know, that, but that was just, uh, she, she, you know, I paid for that. Oh, I bet you um, did. She, uh, she, worked, she worked for the church and, at the party center and they had all the events there. When I was in trouble, I had to wash dishes and bus tables every Friday and Saturday night, which was a lot of those. Um, so it started off when I was like 13 for breaking the car window down to like 18, like working at the hall today. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I, 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 I spent, I spent so much time in trouble growing up and, you know, I think, uh, a, it's good to see that there are opportunities now for kids that are from, you know, inner cities that have natural gifts because let's, let's face it. Every single person is a creator. Yeah. It's whether or not they're, they believe that they can, or if it's fostered, or if it's, you know, that lens is not put over their eyes saying that you are not capable for whatever reason. And you get all these kids in there that are, you know, trapped with no ability to have that outlet. Now they're getting those, like you said, those big walls that they can tag or they're doing, I mean, anybody can do art now. You can do it on a phone. Yeah. For God's sakes. It's so much different now. And everything you know, with all you need is a phone, YouTube, sing, dance, cook, clean. I mean, whatever you want to do, you, you could create something and, and you could put it out there. Um, and there's a lot of different types of creative, you know, creativity too. My brother's an accountant and, you know, and, and other people like that, when I give them a budget to work with, the way that they're able to make the numbers work and everything is not how my brain works in any way, shape or form. I could barely add. And I'm like, there's no way we could do it. And if we move this here and move that there and cut half a day here and put this day in the end here and you know, we could probably get a gear rental on this that'll in the lead into the next week. So we'll only charge you one like beautiful mind. And I'm like, is it going to work? Yep, that's what I was going to say. A beautiful mind. My, my brother-in-law is like that. He's an engineer and he sits down in front of Excel and starts just going nuts. Right. And me, I look like a pig staring at a wristwatch. It's not fucking working out. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. But you're right. It's still 
art. Yeah. It's still creativity. And we need to be grateful for that. I think uh, that's, that's one of the things that we're not a lot of times I stand standing in the shower and same thing you said, there are so many different things that are creativity. And I was just looking at, we had a piece of stone tile there and it was like, you know, shaped like a seashell. Right. And it was etched into the wall. And I thought about it for a minute and I'm like, somebody went to work. Somebody put pen to paper. Somebody toiled over this. Somebody was told you need five seashells by fucking next week. You know, whatever. Somebody got yelled at about, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, and I, and I just look at shit every day and pass on by it, but there's a creator in everything. Yeah. I, uh, I think that way about a lot of things. I don't know why it's like my stepdad is uh, a metallurgist. I think I said that right, but he's a very scientific guy. And when we were pretty young, like a metal scientist, or whatever, and he, he'd always touch shit, you know? And like, I, I picked up on it. And I'm like, why are you touching that? And just, I just want to see what that's made of, you know, kind of thing. And like, it stuck with me. And I always like, you know, is that structural? If it's like a beam at like, that looks like, you know, and then the new arena for the UFC, they have these big beams that look super dope. And I just had to know if that's holding up the roof or if, that, if that's just art or whatever. So I'm always like thinking about how shit's made, you know, and then as I got older and became a businessman, I'm like, how much does that cost? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, uh, that's the next, the next level of measurement. Yeah, like your set is really cool. Like I've been looking at the brick wall and everything since we started. And I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, how much did he make that for? Is that real brick? Is that, set? you know, like, <laughs> uh -huh. like, like that looks really dope. Like just thinking in my head, like how much would that, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's a weird thing. And you know, who, who do I know? Where do I know to get that access as a producer? You know, like your job is to know the people that know shit, you know? And that's, that's all that I do is like, I can't actually do anything. Dude, I used to, I, I get it. I, I used to have a job as a uh, solution architect. I don't talk about this much, but when somebody asked me what that job is, and this is going to sound horribly disrespectful, but I used to tell people I was a nerd whisperer. And they're like, the fuck does that mean? I'm like, I get people that know a fuck ton more than me to put stuff together and bring it to me the way that I wanted so I can put it together. Yeah. And they're all smarter than me. Yeah. That, that's what you have to know. That's 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 step one. You know, you have to know who's better than you and smarter than you at these certain things and trust them and uh and earn their trust to get it done. But you think you know everything, that's the quickest way to fail in, in this business. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, in anything. I mean, once you think that you know everything, you've already failed. Yeah. You're 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 beyond you're beyond help. There's a there's a, a third set of measurement in there. And, and I think that happens a little bit later in life or depending on what that situation is that that creates it. But that that next measurement is say you're standing in your home and you've you've sat there and you've totaled things up in dollars and cents, right? You're looking at that right. TV, this piece of art, you know, that particular, by the way, I saw a video of you. You have Wu-Tang clam pillows. I thought they were badass. <laughs> yeah, there they are. <laughs> but you, you would look at that and be like, how much is a Wu-Tang clam pillow? Go? Where do you get that at? Right. But if you were to stand in your own home and pull out a calculator, but change what you were calculating to time and walk through and look at every single item and say, okay, this Wu-Tang Clan pillow cost me two hours. Right. This one cost me, or this particular thing cost me three years. That cost me, you know, and you just keep adding up. Fuck, you go over to storage. Or if you've got some stuff you're not using, and you start hammering out those numbers, right? 
shit gets real messed up real quick. It does. And I think that way, the older I've got to, I'm a huge sneakerhead and I have a ridiculous amount of sneakers. And oh, our friend, Chris, he told me that he said you loved sneakers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always been my thing. I couldn't afford to have the cool shoes at all when I was a kid and always begging my mom. And it would be, you know, maybe every couple of years, you you know, you could get a pair of Jordans if you did, you know, really good and like whatever. And it's, it's something I always wanted. And then, you know, it's just always been part of the hip hop culture. And, and she, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But and my mom always said, you know, when we were kids. You're not going to have the nicest stuff, but you're going to match. and You're going to be clean. And it's going to, you know, so you we'd have generic shoes, but they'd match my shirt. So we'd always be neat and clean and, and everything fit perfectly. It just would be cheap. And you could get away with some, wearing some cheap stuff if it's if it looks good. You know, like a cheap suit that fits you perfectly looks a million times better than an Armani suit that's all hanging off your ass and it doesn't look right. You know, This is true. If you look like you're a hanger, it ain't working. Yeah. So I always had the mentality and then it just it just grew. And then there was a lot of years where I was making money off of it. Yeah, I had some connections and I would stand in line for hours when I didn't, you know, wasn't working. And you buy two pairs and you sell one for twice as much and then you get the other pair free kind of thing. And, you know, for years and now it's like it's an addiction. Like, I'm not buying any more shoes and then they'll put something up that I always wanted. I'm like, shit, just one more. It's it's, it's something that was created in your childhood. It You know, a lot of times... You know, for me, socioeconomically, when you think about this, there's a hierarchy of things that will bring you happiness. And if you start out from the bottom, your rungs of happiness are not going to be car, MacBook, trip to, you know, Cancun or whatever. It's going to be things like name brand cereal. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a pair of Nikes. It's going to be a fresh haircut. It's going to be, you know, a watch, things like that. And people think that that's, you know, something that someone's trying to show off or they it's actually used to ridicule people in those situations. The ones that get the Cancun trips and things like that. But the fact of the matter is, it's just the level with which there is to be able to obtain things. And. Why not? Who gives a fuck? Yeah, and it's like, you know, the more the older I get, and you know, I don't want to be the old guy that's like kids these days, but, <laughs> you know, thinking of what they need to be happy as compared to what we needed. I mean, it's like when I grew up in the 80s, it might as well have been the 50s. We had a couple channels on TV. We had bikes and we had outside. And that's that's what we did, you know? It was minus 10 degrees in Cleveland, and my mom <sighs> was yelling at me. I'm inside because, you know, it was like you wrote, you jumped on your bike, you rode around till you seen a pile of bikes somewhere or you went to the park or you went to the store that everybody kicked in front of. And then it was just like, hey, what, what are we going to do today? Let's figure something out. Might have been good. Might have been bad. Might have been nothing. But if you figured it out and, and you thought of things to do uh, and, you know, now it's like if you don't have the new game that everybody's playing, like you're sitting at home by yourself and your four friends are fucking playing Fortnite 37 or whatever it is. And, <laughs> yeah, there is like too many of those things. Yeah, you know, and it's like. Even when I got grounded, I was so annoying that my mom eventually would be like, just go outside, you know, and it'd be like, oh, 100%. Every single time, yeah. just go. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> that was every At time. Least one more day, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's different. The interactions are different and uh, there's some good and some bad. You know, I could talk to someone in China, China right now, you know, and I only knew the kids in my neighborhood for almost most of my life, you know, and they're all great people. I love them. And I'm really, really glad for it. But I'm also glad that I got out and, and moved and, and met people all over, too. Um, and I think I personally think I did the best way. I grew up somewhere that, you know, might just not 
be the nicest place or whatever, but yeah, great people, great friends, you know, great environment for the most part. I had those roots there. And then I was able to travel the world and meet people from everywhere. And, and some of that I bring home to my friends and family back there and, and they try new things or, or have a different perspective and, and they keep me grounded and, and I'm proud to be from there. So it's kind of like it, it, wor- it worked out both ways. I, I can appreciate that. You, you know, um, I think empathy and a lot of creativity producers, things like this, um, I think that it's born out of struggle. I think that when people come from struggle, they have a much better ability to understand the human experience and be able to place things and put things in certain ways. I think that that's, uh, that's born of that scenario. And you have to be creative. You know, when you have all the money in the world, it, it's, it's more difficult in some ways. You know, I'm producing The Ultimate Fighter, which is a multi-million dollar TV show for ESPN, the biggest network on the planet. And, and it's a huge thing. And then the next week, I'm trying to do one of my own projects and trying to make it look really good for like eight grand as opposed to millions. And- oh, that's got to be rough. You have a toy store and then you you get you have to stand outside of it to make your play with your own toys. Exactly. You know, but then my business partners are, are all cinematographers that do all these things and they're, they're Emmy Award winning and they're the best of the best. But now we do small projects. So it's like we figure out ways to use this $3,000 camera instead of this $100,000 camera. And, you know, we don't get huge lightning trucks and everything. we got eight lights and rent two and borrow four from a guy we know. And then someone comes in and helps us out. And then before you know it, it's like, aren't those the better, the better of the, uh, the projects when they're done sometimes, sometimes? When you go and you have to white knuckle it through it, but you're doing it because you love yeah, it. For sure. That's that when that turns out well, that's that's the best. Um, you know, and it's it's you know, we say on set all the time, like we just want to make cool shit with our friends. Like it's it's come full circle. Um, uh, you know, my best friend got me in this business almost twenty years ago and he's big time and won a couple Emmys this year and has films in Tribeca and he's as big as it gets and he's the hard, most, you know, hardworking, dedicated guy I know and then, you know through this we started working on little projects together and we haven't worked together in over a decade till this last weekend and we're best friends into the same business but he's you know doing much bigger things life happens and uh but it's great because you know like we're back like wanting to shoot music videos and shit again like we did in the 90s in college and like but amp it up and then like that's when we had the most fun see i believe that life is a circle I think that you're born with a specific set of talents and gifts that you are supposed to bring to the world, right? And I think that we deny ourselves those, that we go through the human experience and we stifle all those abilities until a certain point where we've now got enough experience to revisit what we were supposed to be from get-go, because you said you you got your teeth you or you cut your teeth, you know, uh, promoting for hip hop, right? Yeah, that was probably the first thing I would do. It's is you know I grew up wanting to be a rapper and rapping, and you had all these little groups, and we did a couple little shows with Bone Thugs and Harmony in Cleveland in the nineties, which is like what? Whoa, 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 you can't just drop that manhole cover. That wasn't a dime. You dropped like a manhole cover. You you did a show with Bone. Yeah, we did a couple, and you know we'd be at the mall with them, and it it, it was a normal thing till they blew up, and then. Uh, it was, it was, it was weird. I, I could send you some pictures. It's funny. I look ridiculous. Oh, please do, man. I don't want to hear it. I grew up with like Hee-Hawville country, middle of Florida. It's like Southern Alabama. At one point I had a mullet. I had, uh, you know, I did the, I did the, um, it, it went in phases and it was what through like late eighties through the mid or up through the mid nineties. And it went 
mullet and then mullet with the the uh the ladder on the side. I had that exact same the, haircut. The the ladder. Then the <laughs> mullet came off except the middle. You left the rat tail, right? It went in sections. Then rat tail was snipped off, but you went up higher and it was shaved up from the back and the side. So you got the surfer cut like Zach Morris or something. Yeah, that, that was the go ahead. <laughs> that, that was similar to mine, but with a lot of braids and other designs cut in. But I definitely had the step mullet before. <laughs> the step mullet. I, I think I don't know how those trends spread before internet and everything, but every white kid had them three things. Oh God, they were so stupid. We all had that for sure. Hey academics, thanks again for attending another class at the Tragedy Academy. You can show us some love by subscribing, downloading, and rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or ask Amazon Alexa to play the Tragedy Academy podcast. You can find links to all major podcast platforms and past episodes at thetragedyacademy.com. You can find us on all the majors of social media on Instagram at the Tragedy Academy 2019, on TikTok at the Tragedy Academy, and on Twitter at tragedy underscore academy where we'll post our clips of upcoming shows, updated info, and thoughts. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to show at thetragedyacademy.com. Keep an eye out on Instagram for Tragedy Academy giveaways. Thanks again for coming to class. And remember, be cool, keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey. You'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, they've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade. And they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs for everyone. 
one of my personal favorites, Twilight Mickey. Go take a look. Into the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the AM. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to the tragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.